Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. But super blessed, super honoured to be here. Thank you. Thank you that that I get this opportunity to speak into you. And it has been a whirlwind of a couple of days. That's not what you want to hear, that your guest speaker is still stuck in Chicago and someone has to bring the word today. But hey, you know what? God knows. And I could put on a cute little American accent for you and try to preach the word that way if it would make you feel better. But you'd probably just laugh, so we won't do that. And, um, and so I just want to remind us all today that, you know, God's timing is beyond perfect like beyond perfect. So he knows what we don't know and he knows what's coming up even when we can't see it and we think situations blindside us. And he's like, no, I always knew this was coming up. And I believe today that God has something that he wants to say specifically into your life, whether you were here today on the invitation of someone or maybe you're only in church today because Princess Belle is dancing out in the foyer somewhere with Spider-Man and, and like your kids conjoled you into coming. But whatever the reason you find yourself here, God knows you're here. And um, it's not a mistake. He's an intentional God when it comes to speaking to you and pursuing you. And, um, you know, I was sharing with our girls, uh, the Braveheart girls, a couple of weeks back. I was talking to them about um, Colonel Sanders who founded KFC. And he did so in the 1930s, and it was a huge success. I mean, it took off. This Kentucky Fried Chicken business, it took off. But it wasn't just because of the flavors and the tastes that Colonel Sanders' um, product was so successful. It was because of the timing when he launched it. And the timing was the 1930s where women had, for the very first time, gone back to work. They'd been allowed into the workplace and and that meant there was no meals on the table at the end of the day and the men were hungry and they needed to eat. So him bringing KFC at this time just revolutionised the men's world really because they could go and get food. And and what I want to say to you is that this word is, is, it's that, it's an alignment of timing. It's not just that the product is good, but it's the perfect time for your life. And I believe that because I've prayed and I've studied and God wants to speak. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get straight into this today. So Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for everyone who finds themselves in this this house today, Lord, that we may think we've come on an invitation or just we're here by chance, but my heart and my prayer, Lord, is that we would know that the eyes of the one and only true and living God are rested upon us. You know exactly where we're at in life what's going on in our life. And so God, we commit this time over to you. And I ask God that you being the good God that you are, that you will personally reveal yourself to people in this next moment, speak into their situations. Lord, that you would calm my nerves and clear my mind that we can together journey through the word of God and learn from you. And I ask all of this in your name, amen. Amen. And so we have started a new series called Unfinished. And I want to be able to show you in the Word of God today that God has unfinished business with you. It is said that there are three types of people in the world. There are undertakers, caretakers, 
and risk takers. And you will find that you fall into one of those categories. Undertakers, they're the kind of people who live life backwards. Like you're always talking about the good old times. You live life remembering what was. It could be something good. It could be a tragedy or a trauma, but you relive it over and over again. You're not a visionary. You don't have a vision for the future. You are constantly talking about the past and every single day you live that way. Undertakers are procrastinators because they are frozen in time by a memory. My grandfather was a great guy. He was a naval officer in World War II. But after the war, he went on to have children, five children. He went on to have many grandchildren and multiple great-grandchildren. But somehow he was unable to relate to the rest of the family because he couldn't talk about how was your day and what's going on in your world. And he couldn't talk about the future. Every time he sat with him, he just wanted to talk about the past. And he wanted to talk about the war. And I cannot imagine what that generation went through. But you understand that we too can be like that. If we are undertakers, we're always talking about, well, you don't know what happened to me. And we live life in reverse. Caretakers are a little bit different. Caretakers are all about today. I'm living my life for today. Like, I'm aware of what was, and I know there's more to come, but I can't think about any of that because I'm just thinking about today, my relationships today, my finances, how much have I got to spend today? Where am I at in life today? And so caretakers, you live somewhere in between of what has been and what is to come. You're, You're kind of here in the middle and you're busy taking care of your life, but you're not necessarily designing or driving your life. And then there are those who are risk takers. Now, risk takers are a little bit different because they live life looking towards the future. They're all about what is to come. I'm aware of what is behind me, but I believe the best is yet to come. I believe the best is yet to come because though stuff happened behind me and I'm aware of my circumstances around me today, I'm always believing that there is better than I have currently seen in my life. These are what risk takers look like. Risk takers constantly ask the question, how can I improve? How can I be more? How can I do more? How can I generate more? They're always looking for more opportunities and ways to expand in their field of work because they're never settled or satisfied with where life is. They're always believing there is better and the best is yet to come. They take chances that other people say, that's ridiculous, but risk takers take these chances. They live life to the full, always believing that what is ahead of them is going to be better than what is behind them. Now, I believe that God wants all of us to live life as risk takers. And I know that if you're slightly introvert or of a quieter nature, you're just freaking out internally now with me saying (laughs) those words. That God wants us to live life as risk takers, but I actually believe that he's hardwired us to live life as risk takers. You know, we, we start at the beginning of this year in January by talking around a collection of talks called Mindsets. And what we learned from that collection of talks was the way you think in your mind has a direct effect on the way that you outlive your life. And so if we're not healthy in our mind, we can, we can if, we're, if our mind is still dwelling on what was, then it's going to have a detrimental, detrimental effect on what is to come. 
And the Bible talks, Jesus himself spoke about the enemy. He said, we have an enemy. We have a devil in our lives and he wants to steal from you. He he said in John 10, he said, the enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And I believe that he wants to rob your best days by you constantly living in your yesterdays. If he can keep you thinking about yesterday, you will never get to live out your best day. So he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If he can steal your confidence, he can kill your dream, and he will destroy your future. But then Jesus went on to say, but I have come that you might have life in abundance. Do you know what an abundant life looks like? It's like more than I can contain. Abundance means overflowing. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have a life that is abundantly more than you can imagine, overflowing with goodness. So if we're living life as an undertaker, constantly looking backwards, that's not an abundant life. And if we're living life as a caretaker, just taking care of today and not considering the future, that's not an abundant life either. So God wants you to live as a risk taker because he wants you to always believe in him there is more. In him there is more available to you, more of his goodness, more of his kindness, more of his joy, more of his peace, more and more blessings. So if you're in here today and you can say, I am so full of the goodness of God, I can't possibly take any more of this message ain't for you. But if you're here today and you're saying something like, do you know what? I just want more of God's goodness in my life. I believe I'm living for God, but I'm not seeing it in the fullness that I believe it can be. This message is for you. Or maybe you're not a regular church attender. Maybe you don't know what it is to have a relationship with God and you're just here going, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to my life than what I currently see. Then I want to take you through the scripture and we're going to look at how we can live life as a risk taker. But there is in all of us an obstacle that we must get over in order to live out our best life yet. And this obstacle that we all have within us is so huge. But although it is huge, it is so subtle. In fact, it's so subtle that you can be dealing with it and in it before you even recognise it. This huge and yet subtle obstacle that we all face is called complacency. Complacency. Complacency wants to keep you stayed and complacency wants to keep you stuck. And that word complacency is when you know there's things that you need to do, but you never get around to doing them. That word complacency is like, life's not how I want it to be, but, but it's, it's, it's okay. Like, like, it's okay. This huge thing called complacency. And I want to take you through a story in the Bible shortly that teaches us that, you know, if we know how to live with a heart of faith, we don't have to live at the hands of fate. And I don't know how many people are living at the hands of fate, just taking each day as it comes just seeing what will happen. If you just roll out of bed and you go and do your job and you come home and, you know, Uber Eats calls around and you put EastEnders on and then, you know, you go to bed and do it all on repeat, then that is not a life of abundance. 
That is actually a life of deception that the world has told us that's normal, but it's not. Jesus came and said, I've come that you can have an abundant life, a life that is overflowing with the goodness and the blessings of God. You know, throughout the journey the uh, the children of Israel took when they came out of Egypt, for those of you that know the story, the whole nation of Egypt, of Israel, was in captivity in Egypt. And when they were set free, they had this journey to go across the wilderness. And they had to, they were going to a promised land, a land where God was going to make them a great nation, a land of blessing, a land of fruitfulness. But in order to get to the land on the journey there, they had to conquer and fight many battles. In fact, between there and their promised land, there was over 31 fortified cities that they had to conquer. A fortified city is like a city with a great big wall around it. No one can get in, no one can get out. And scripture tells us that these fortified cities, they were ruled by Amalekites, Canaanites. These are the names of the people. The Amorites, the Midianites, and any other knights you want to throw in there. These all were governed and ruled the cities. And it says of all these people that they were a freak human size. The Bible refers to them as giants. They were giants. Do you remember when Moses sent the spies in to spy out the promised land and 10 of them came back with the negative report and said, we feel like grasshoppers. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. It was because they'd seen this human race of super, super size. And so they had to continuously fight giants in order to inherit their promised land. But their promised land was an actual place. It was going to be a place where God blessed them, a place where their, their crops would flourish, their cattle would multiply, a place they could put a stake in the ground and call home and build a legacy for the generations to come. It was going to be the place that God blessed them. And I want to say to every one of us in here today that you have a promised land attached to your life. That before you were fashioned and formed in your mother's womb, he knew you and he attached blessings pre-written into the script of your life was promised land and area, places in your life. In fact, I believe you have multiple promised lands where God wants to bless you, where you are going to be fruitful, where your life is going to flourish, where it's going to be above and beyond average. You have these places, maybe for you it's a marriage that you're hanging on for. Like you want the one to build a life with that you can grow together and you can prosper together. Maybe for you it's children. You're really hanging on like everybody else seems to have children. It's a promised land for you. Maybe it's a good health report. Like you've done so long having a bad health report that you're hanging on in there now. I believe God has a good health report for me. That's your promised land. Whatever it looks like for you, maybe it's peace of mind. Maybe it's getting over and above and living life outside of depression. God wants you to have an abundant life. So he wrote into the script of your life a promised land experience for you. But you've got to fight your way through some giants to get there. Like there are some giants standing in your way. You see, just because God has promised something in your life doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
God says, this is the promise I have for you. Now, I want you to fight for the life that you deserve because you deserve better. You deserve more. And so we've got to fight for the life that we desire, just like the Israelites had to fight when they were on their way to their promised land. At different stages throughout the Bible, it gives descriptions of what these giants look like. You know, you can read in 1 Samuel about the story of David and Goliath, and it'll tell you about the size of Goliath and the size of his sword. Or you could read in in Deuteronomy 3, it talks about King Og of Bashan. King Og of Bashan, it says about this king that he was so large that his bed was nearly 14 foot long and six foot wide. And it's describing like the size, it was made out of uh, metal and oh, it goes into this description, but what it's actually painting a picture of is the strength of this man. Nowhere in the Bible are these giants described as the BFG. The big friendly giant does not exist That is mythical. But let me tell you, when you're facing your greatest battle and when you're facing your problem, it can be like you're face to face with one big, ugly, snarling giant and you have got to take him on. But the Bible also tells us that every battle Israel went into, they won. It also tells us that they they were much smaller in physical stature than the giants they faced. They supernaturally overcame and defeated every single giant that they faced supernaturally. The Israelites were not trained warriors. They were not fighters. In fact, they were slaves that had just been set free. So if anything, they're probably at their weakest. But they had this huge God on their side. And if they were able to face the giant and fight the giant, God would overcome the giant for them. So, though they fought many physical giants of great size and stature, one of the greatest giants they had to face was not a physical being. The greatest giant they had to face lived in their mind. And it was a giant called complacency. And this giant called complacency is the one that would keep them out the promised land. Every other giant they could take on, but this one giant called complacency would keep them out of the promised land. He was greater and more powerful than any of the other physical statues of the other giants. And it is the same giant that you and I are up against today. This giant is so unassuming and yet incredibly powerful. This giant is stealing your life from under your very nose. And most of us do not even recognize that that is happening. This is the giant of complacency. He's greater than addiction. He's greater than immorality or any other self-destructive sin that you may have experienced in your life. This giant of complacency, he's greater than unforgiveness. He is so huge. He trumps them all. Complacency is so subtle. Let me tell you what it looks like in your life and in my life. Complacency looks like just being satisfied with where you are. That's a giant of complacency. Now, hear me right when I say this. 
I'm satisfied with my husband. I'm satisfied with my children and my family. I'm satisfied and grateful. But I always believe there's more because I don't just want to be married. I want a great marriage. I don't want to just come to church on a Sunday. I want to belong to a great church on a Sunday. I just don't want friends in my life because I can have friends. I want great friends who are going to inspire me and who are going to build me up. This is what I want. So, so, so when you are just satisfied and you're kind of like, ah, it's okay. I'm okay. It's not kind of where I want to be, but, but I'm okay. That's, that's not okay. That is complacency. Have you ever been a child or had a school teacher say of your child, if they would just apply themselves a little bit better, they could be so much more. Have you ever heard that? And that's the thing, isn't it? Because the teacher can often see the potential in the child and the child's just not willing to give any more. The child's like, yeah, well, I'm just doing okay. And the teacher's like, yeah, but you're, you're, on, you're on target right now for a C, but I know you could be an A-star student if you just applied yourself. And I think sometimes God looks at our life and he thinks the very same thing. And he's like, oh, there's so much more for you. But you've got to put the work in and you've got to say, I want the more. I want to push in and become so much more. You know, one of the frustrating things about being a pastor is quite often we'll sit with people and, you know, we get around people and we'll go home and we're like, oh, man. They're just going to be such a, they're such a great person. There's, you can talk to people and you can almost feel the weight of things on their life, the potential that God's put in them. But what's frustrating is sometimes you want that for them more than they want it for themselves. And you can't make somebody great. Somebody has to push out of their complacency and say, I want the more that God has for me. Complacency is stayed. It says, I know I'm not where I want to be. I know I'm not where I should be. And I know it's not how it could be, but I'm okay. Like, okay, it's not okay. Jesus didn't come, die on a cross, raised to life for you to have an okay life. He said, I came for you to have an abundant life, a life that is full and overflowing of my goodness and my blessing. Complacency is when I know my walk with God is not where it should be and I'll do something about it one day. Complacency is like, oh, do you know what? I know I'm not reading the Bible like I should be reading the Bible. I am not looking at things that I ought to be looking at, and I'm, and I'm looking at other things that I know I shouldn't be looking at, and I know I've got some changes to make in my life. I will get around to it one day, but you know what? In all honesty, it's quite easy to ignore the things that nobody else knows about because I can just kind of get away with that area of life. No, let me tell you, it's complacency and it's robbing you of your best life yet. God says, no, there are things that we need to do and address. We do this with our relationships, our jobs, our friendship, our finance, and our kids. So many areas of life, we're settling for defeat against a big, ugly giant called complacency who's keeping you out of your promised land experience He's not like the other giants you had to face. Some giants that you face are obvious. If you are ill, then you will fight for your health because it's an obvious fight. If you are made redundant, then you will pursue getting another job because it's an obvious thing that you're fighting for. But complacency? Well, no one would know if you were being complacent or not. No one would know if you were just coasting through life average or not. 
And that's your choice. But God wants you to know today that he's got an abundant life for you and a life that is more than you are already experienced. So I have a question for you. What is the area of your life that you feel like you've been ripped off in? What is the area of your life where you would say about yourself, it's not how it should be, it's not how I wanted it to be, it's not how I visioned it would be, but it is what it is. And you've become like this, that, that little leaf blowing down a stream. You've got caught up in a current of what society has said about you, your circumstance or your situation. Because you were divorced or because you, you went through a something or because illness took years of your life or because of your financial situation or because of your, your, um, you know, your blended family or because, you know, there's so many different situations in life where culture says, ah, oh, well, it is what it is is suck it up it's your life yeah well you know because you kind of you went through that you're always going to be less than you know what because you did this then yeah you know this is how it's always been in our family why should it be any different for you but Jesus actually had something very different to say on it in Matthew 7 7 he said ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. I don't know if you can see what I can see in this scripture, but in order for me to have something, I have to do something first. Like God said, hmm, ask because I've got an answer. Seek because you think you've lost some stuff, but actually I'm going to show you how to find that which you think you've lost. Maybe you've lost your confidence. Maybe you've lost your peace of mind. Maybe you've lost your joy and you're just dragging yourself through life. You think you've lost it? God says, it's not lost. I'll show you how to find it. Knock and the door of opportunity is going to open. Like you, you think you're at a dead end. This is all like it, me and EastEnders, that's it. Like, no, 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 God says, I've got opportunity for you more than you could possibly imagine. But you've got to put the work in first. I need to see some motion from you. I need to see you. You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to, to knock and doors will be opened. In other words, if you can initiate a little bit of movement to a thought that you are having, if you can give a little bit of motion to the change that you desire to see, rather than just thinking about it. Do you know what we're great at? We are great at thinking about something for so long that we actually think we've done it. And we haven't. Nothing ever changes. Because God doesn't operate on your dreams or your emotion or your imagination. God operates on your position. God operates on you actually functioning and doing something. So I want to applaud every single one of you who've planted yourself in the house of God today because you got out of bed and you got in your car or you got on the bus and you said, I'm going to position myself in church. Because I'm coming to the house of God because I've got some things to ask. I've got some things I need to find. And I've got some, I want some more opportunity open to me. And so here we are. Numbers 27 puts us right in the middle of the journey that the Israelites took across the wilderness. 
And I want to read to you this really quirky story about five sisters. And these five sisters, they've seen some of the giants slain. And I actually think that they are at a period and point in their life where they are facing their greatest giant yet. And the giant that they're facing is complacency, the one who's in their mind. But the unique thing about these five girls is they decide to take this giant on, head on. Okay, so it reads like this in Numbers 27. There's a guy, his name is Zelophehad. So you're going to have to journey with me through these really difficult names. Okay, Zelophehad was the son of Hepher. We hope that that's a man. Um, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Okay, the names of Zelophehad's daughters were Mahala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tezah. They came forward, they stood before Moses and Eleazar at the tent of meeting and they said, our father has died in the wilderness. So our father has died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord. He died of his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan? Because he had no son. Give us the property amongst our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, what the daughters of Zelophehad are saying is right. You must certainly give them the property as an inheritance amongst their father's relatives and give them their father's inheritance. Let me just explain to you what, what, what is happening here. So the children of Israel, 3.5 million of them, they've come out of Egypt. They're making the trek across the wilderness. It took them a long time. But during this journey, and fighting off all these giants, God starts speaking to Moses and saying, look, I want you to do a census. I want you to do a head count because we need to start to divide the land that they are going to, the promised land. This whole nation was going to move into a whole new area. And rather than being carnage, Moses, I want you to divide the land now and deploy certain families to certain regions and certain areas. And I, and I love this. I think this is just... a. a, a I think this is, is, is a word in season. That's what I would call it. Like this can mean something to someone now where they were not in the promised land. They were still on the journey. But God was telling Moses to act as though he was already there. And I think that's so important that we don't just sit and wait and wait. And when God does this for me, then I'll do this. No, he said to Moses, I want you to start acting now as though you're already in the land. So let's start making a plan and let's start dividing the land up. So they call all the males forward. This is how God instructed every male over the age of 20, they need to be in a head count. Now, the women were not counted at that time because in this culture, at this time, women were deemed as second-class citizens. They did not have a voice. Women didn't speak out. They didn't have an opinion. Can you imagine me <laughs> in, that, in that period of time? And um, God's time is perfect, and you went to put me on the earth. And so, so they didn't have an opinion. They didn't count for anything. And women belonged to someone. You always came under the covering of your father. If not your father, the covering of your husband. If not your husband, it would be the covering of your brother. And so, but I just want to say that I do not believe that is the custom or the ways of God. That was the custom of the culture of that day. It's not the culture of the kingdom of God. God sees us all as valuable and all the same. But in the middle of this head count of this census, Moses encounters five young women 
Now, these five young women were going to be bold and do something that had never done never been done before. Their father had died on the journey through the wilderness and they had no husbands and neither did they have any brothers. So they had no male covering, which meant when they went into the land of Israel, they, they would be homeless. They would have to beg and borrow and take shelter and be at the mercy of someone else. And they began to think it's not fair because our father died. We now have no inheritance. Because our father died, culture tells us we now have no land to go and inherit. And so somewhere these girls got their confidence to go and stand before Moses. I mean, Moses who split the Red Sea open. And Eleazar, the priest who was revered by the people. All the heads of the tribes of Israel were there. And multitude, millions of men over the, age of, over the age of 20, all in this lineup to be head counted. And these five girls, my kind of girls, them girls, just had something about them. And they're there in this count-up and they, and they present their request to Moses. And they said, we want the inheritance that is rightfully ours. A portion of land that was a portion to our father. Why should we miss out just because we have no brothers? You know, I'm sure the giant of complacency was shouting in their mind, screaming in their heads, don't do this. This is so countercultural. If you do this, you will be excommunicated. If you do this, you will be shunned by your society. You could even lose your life. Who are you to stand up before Moses? Who are you to present your request to Eleazar? You are nothing. You are no one. Don't forget, this is what culture had fed into them all of the time. You are unimportant. Your voice has no weight. You do not matter. The giant of complacency trying to get them to be stuck and stayed the whole time. But in verse 2, it says, the daughters of Zelephahad came forward. What did they do? They put some action to the thought that they had. They'd been thinking for a while, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on a huge blessing. We're going to miss out on an inheritance. So they came forward. They motioned forward towards Moses. And Moses took their um, request before God. But as I read this scripture, I began to think, what on earth gave them the confidence to be able to, to do that? to step out before men, you know, to, to, to stand before that whole male society and, 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 and have a voice. And this is what I saw. You see, in the Hebrew culture, when people are given a name, the name is not by chance. It's not Jimmy, Jane, and John, and it's not for, you know, it's not because you remind me of a flower, so I'm going to name you this. Their, their names had definition, depth, and meaning. Parents named their children with purpose. And I believe that the reason that these girls came out and they came forward with confidence and courage was because they knew who they were. They understood who they'd been called by their father. And as I began to look into the Hebrew meanings to their names, I saw that Mahala means to dance and Noah means to move and Hogla means to circle and Milka means to walk and Taraz means to run. <laughs> their father had named them with movement attached to their lives. You don't have to remain where you are. You don't have to 
stay in the current set of circumstances because I've put an authority over you when I named you and I have given you everything that you need to initiate movement in your life. And these girls knew that and they understood that. They were initiators of movement. I'm not going to settle. I have a dream. I have an idea. I have a vision. What if we had land in the promised land? What ifs get you nowhere? But when you put some action to your what ifs and you find the courage to go and stand before the presence of God, which is who Moses represented and say, God, I have a desire. This is my desire. I want to see some change in my life. It says that Moses went before God and God said what the daughters of Zelophehad have asked for is a legitimate request. Grant them their inheritance and much more. Do you know that they actually changed the whole trajectory from women from then on? Because from then on, women were included in, in headcounts and inheritances and all of that from that point on. But I want to remind all of you today that when you know who you are, you know what you can do. And when you know what you can do, you understand that I am not subject to be ruled by complacency, that I do not have to have my dreams and my desires and my inheritance stolen from me through inactivity because your God has named you. He's called you an overcomer, an achiever. You're the head and not the tail. You are loved. You are valued. You are accepted. You are whole. You are complete. You are not a misfit. You are not less than. I don't care what your social or economical background says. You are whole in the eyes of God. God loves you and He values you and He esteems you. He wants to encourage you and set you on high. He says, you're my child. You carry the weight of my name. I need you to understand who has called you today so that you can go and claim an inheritance that belongs to you. Isaiah 62, you are called a new name by the mouth, by which the mouth of the Lord will give you. You know, when the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy, what he's actually after is your identity. You see, if he can take your identity from you and you don't understand who you are, then you begin to realise that if you don't know who you are, you can't possess what is rightfully yours. You know, we, when you travel, you have a passport. Your passport is your identity. And that identity gives you access to places you cannot go without it. Without it, you're stationary. But your passport says this is who I am. You need to get your spiritual passport in the face of the enemy and remind him access. <laughs> I have access to the life that God has set up for me. I'm not going to be in a marriage that's less than. I'm not going to raise kids that are less than. I'm not going to be partially healed. I'm not going to be okay with the way things are. Have a passport and it says my name on it. And on that name, it says I'm a child of the Most High God. If the devil can steal, kill and destroy your identity, you'll forever live life as an undertaker or a caretaker and you will never move into the realm of being a risk taker. You will forever be governed by the giant of complacency and you will never get to live in your promised land experience. So God says today, I need you to understand how valuable you are to me so that when the enemy comes to your mind with his lies, you can remind him 
I am valuable to God. I am valuable to God because I am made in His image. I am valuable to God because of what I cost. I cost the price of His one and only Son. I'm, I'm expensive. Like I'm valuable to God because of what I can become. Because He attached plan and purpose and destiny to my life. That means I'm valuable to Him. Because that plan and purpose and destiny has not come into fulfilment yet. So God wants me here so I can keep pursuing for Him my best life. Listen, there is unfinished business in your life. God's got work to do but it's going to take you and Him working together. And you are going to have to fight against the giant of complacency. And you need to rise up on the inside. And, it be, and it's, it's great for us to be able to stand here and say, hey, you know what? If I'm not dead, God's not done. I have an inheritance to pursue. I have a future to take hold of. I have a relationship to rebuild. I have a home to possess. I have a spouse to love. I have kids to raise. I have a job to work. I have peace to find. I have all of these things because culture wants to deny me of what God has said is rightfully mine. Culture wants to say to you, because you were divorced, you're less than. Because of what you went through, you're less than. Because of what happened to you, well, that's just the hand that life dealt you and that's the way it is. But listen, abuse may have labelled you, but God has named you. And it's time that we, as the local church, as ordinary, everyday men and women, stopped saying, whatever will be, will be. God's given you a life to design and this is your one shot at it. So we need to run with purpose in our heart and run towards something. I'm running towards my best days. I'm pursuing a better future because I believe that God is not done yet. Can we stand today, church, please? I want to take this moment and I just want to pray for all of us as we go into this week that is coming. That we wouldn't go in feeling like we're dragging ourselves through yet another repetitive week that actually every day can be new and every day can be inspirational and every day can be a step forward to being the person that I desire, that I want to be. But we can't do it in our own strength, but God supernaturally equipped the Israelites to be able to overcome every giant that they faced. And I believe God is still in the equipping business today. And so my prayer right now, Holy Spirit, is that you will move on every man and woman, every family represented in this place that you would give them the courage and the boldness to go and pursue their best life, to address what needs to be addressing, to have the boldness, the courage and the confidence to step out and say, hey, you know what, God? I, 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 I want my best life in you. I don't wanna go through life being average. I don't wanna just get through, but I want my life to be running over with the goodness of God. I want my life to be a, a trophy that, that talks about the defeat of the giants and the enemies. I want my life to be a life that is looked upon as being 
active and as being purposeful and not as being one that is, that is complacent. So Father, I ask that You fill me with Your Holy Spirit this week and help me to achieve, to be calm, to do, to press on into the more of You because I believe my best days are always ahead of me. And I just wanna say a prayer right now. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and maybe you don't have that personal relationship with God, you know what? The presence of God is here and now. And He wants access to your life. Because God sees how you struggle, and He sees how you fight, and He sees the detail that makes you you. And I want to give you the opportunity to repeat this prayer after me because it's just one prayer away and your whole eternal destiny changes forever. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that I find myself in this place today hearing the words of a good God, hearing that there's one who died for me to give me an abundant life. I want you to be my Lord and Saviour. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive my past mistakes. From this point on, I call myself a Christian and I do my life with you. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.